the more that we can help drive outcomes for people and help them understand what does what to their own body, you know, you know we're going to get type ones talking to type twos about glucose and what they do and how they learn from each other. You'll see more and more people without diabetes now are using continuous glucose monitoring. So just to have this glucose regulation topic, it, you know, it breaks down all stigma. Welcome to the Healthy Returns Podcast, where I sit down with founders, investors, and executives innovating in health tech, fitness and wellness, and human performance. My guest today is Phil Sutherland, founder and CEO of Super Sapiens. Super Sapiens is a continuous glucose monitoring company built to unlock better performance and recovery for athletes through optimized glucose regulation. A type 1 diabetic himself, diagnosed at just 7 months old, Phil has spent years pioneering continuous glucose monitoring technology for the athletic community. He is also the co-founder of Team Nova Nordisk, the world's first all-diabetes pro-cycling team. Today's conversation comes fresh off a huge announcement for the entire Super Sapiens community. After operating in Europe for the past five years, Phil and his team have launched Super Sapiens Diabetes, bringing glucose insights back to the diabetic population in the US. In today's episode, we discuss glucose as a proxy for overall health, using sport as a platform for inspiration and change, and how the narrative around glucose monitoring has evolved over time. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Phil, thanks so much for joining Healthy Returns. Good to be back with you, Nolan. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. You know, I'm super excited for this conversation. Um, we got a lot to get into. Um, now, for listeners, if you know what a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor is, you probably know this man who I'm speaking to right now, Phil Sutherland. But in case some listeners do not know, if you could please introduce yourself and what you built at Super Sapiens. Hey there. Uh, so, Good, good to be here with you, Nolan, and um, to the, the the fans of this awesome podcast, uh, who I've got to see this young man develop over the past, you know, what six months now. Yep. Um, Continuous glucose monitor is, you know, it's a device made for people with diabetes. Uh, it's you know, needle goes in, comes out, little catheter, I guess, microfilament stays in the body, reading the, your glucose from the interstitial fluid uh, for about a fourteen day period. And then that sensor then transmits data to an app or a wearable that tells you where your glucose is right now and also the trend of which direction it's going. So if you think of, uh, you know, the game of hockey, right? Wayne Gretzky, you know, he was infamous for saying, "Why people say, well, how are you so good at hockey? Well, I don't go to where the puck is. I go to where the puck is going. And it's the same thing for people with diabetes and that uh, continuous glucose monitors allows you to treat for where your glucose is going and just really keep a much tighter range of stability. Uh, and yeah, type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes to the non-diabetic audience, um, I think time has proven out that glucose stability is really one of the fun fundamental keys for longevity. So I think this technology has been used for a long time for people with diabetes. There's It's a $10 billion market today. Um, I think Nine million people around the world are using continuous glucose monitors for people with diabetes. <clears throat> and over the past few years now, we've started to get introduced the technology to the non-diabetes market and really see that no matter who you are, uh, if you have the right data in front of you, if you have one of these tools, you can optimize your own glucose regulation. Uh, and you know, time will tell, you know, but our theory is you, know, you can you know, maximize your health while on this planet and perhaps even extend the time you have on this planet uh, by better regulating your glucose. Awesome. Awesome. Now, I know Super Sapiens has just celebrated its five-year anniversary, and I want to congratulate you on that. And a lot has happened in those five years. But before we get into that, I want you to take us back to year one. 
how Super Sapiens evolved into what it is today and specifically how the narrative around glucose monitoring has changed. Yeah, so uh, back back to year one. So to go back to year one would need to, I need to take this back to when I first got on a continuous glucose monitor. Uh, I guess for listeners' context, this technology might be new to you, but it's it's taken a long time to get to market and get to the scale it is today. Uh, in 1999, I had a sensor inserted into my back that I wore for three days, and then I took it to my doctor, and then I got to see three days worth of readings. You know, and I thought, wow, this is cool, but you know, I couldn't take action on it because it was all retrospective. Uh, then in 2005, I got put on a continuous glucose monitor trial, and yeah, in 20 days with this data, I learned more about what everything did to my body than in 23 years as a diabetic, you know, obsessing about glucose control for my own health and performance purposes. Uh, and so I put data that you don't have in front of you is not data that you can take action on. So really early on, um, you know, my team, Team Type 1, that's my other business, uh, now branded as Team of Nordisk, you know, we use continuous glucose monitoring to set a world record as an all diabetic team getting across the country, uh, bike race across America, Ram, uh, five days, 16 hours, four minutes. It was awesome. Uh, uh, the most beautifully painful moments of my life, <clears throat> but we set a world record and it was really cool, but we had to strap the technology on our handlebars to see it live while riding. And, you know, I, I remember saying to Abbott in the early days and then Dexcom in the later days that, you know, I need to get this on my bike computer because you know, numbers in my jersey aren't numbers I can look at. I can't take action on those. And I really have to have the data in front of me you know, to, to act, to make decisions. And you know, it was just an athletic diabetes audience was, not, was a bit too niche. So industry didn't want to pursue this. Uh, and then you know, I've been in the cycling world where you know, a bonk is the reason someone loses the Tour de France every single year. Uh, and the economic kind of consequence of that bonk is quite significant for the sponsor, for the team, for, you know, everyone involved. <clears throat> and so I've been trying to get them to put it on to the, just the sports market. And again, that was, you know, the industry was focused on, you know, solving for people with diabetes. So long story short, uh, I started this company in 2009. You know, technology didn't exist. Industry wasn't interested. It failed. I shut it down. <clears throat> then went about working with Team Nova Nordis, uh, different cycling power companies to try and get the data from glucose sensing sensors to the bike computers. Worked with three different major manufacturers. They all failed. And ultimately, it was another startup here in Atlanta, Georgia, Wahoo Fitness, um, whose founder, Chip Hawkins, you know, understood my need. They were a sponsor of Team Nova Nordis. I said, for us to be the best we can be, get the best results we can, you know, I need glucose on my bike computer. Mm -hmm. And Chip uh, took him about six, seven months until I got a live product. Ha ha, Chip. Uh, but, you know, he, he finally, he did it. And the first two weeks, you know, this was December 12th, 2018. I first rode my bike with glucose on my bike computer. In um, the next two weeks, I learned more about optimizing insulin timing, nutrition, where I felt best for glucose than I learned in the last 15 years of having a sensor in my jersey pocket, you know, in the and knew I had to bring this to market. Um, and so, you know, put it on the team, team of Nordisk, you know, and we had live visibility on their bike computers for a training camp. You know, we had methodologies that had been set in stone for our team for how these guys did their nutrition, how they did their insulin timing. And we broke down all those stigmas. Like we had stigmas that we built based on experience and what we thought. But once we had real-time data in front of us, we changed everything. Uh, and so I knew 
there was something here, some magic. I, yeah. I didn't really know what it was going to be when it grew up. Uh, but on February 4th, I you know, filed my first bit of IP and I started the business TT1 Products, no brand name behind it. And it was just, you know, scratching, like kind of as an entrepreneur, like I knew I had something, I had the technology, I had the reason for the technology, a problem we were solving. Um, but then it was, you know, doing what you must do as a, as a founder or an entrepreneur is, you know, figure out what's the model, what's the, you know, how, how do you build a business off of this? How do you, you know, uh, uh, an idea in Atlanta, Georgia, well, that can't support the billion dollars needed to bring a monitor to market. So who are the best companies that you could partner with so that you commercialize this concept? And, you know, and that was really kind of where things were on February 4th, you know, 2019. Uh, and then, you know, found a lot of people, you know, I've raised 150 million some odd dollars uh, selling hope and inspiration to Big Pharma so they could have my cycling team, you know, as you know, team type one Sanofi, team Nova Nordisk, team type one monitor by Freestyle in the early days, uh, you know, but I'd never sold a product, right? Yep. And uh, never had that transaction with the consumer. And so I had to seek a lot of mentorship and counsel from people who had, you know, run good companies where they had transactional relationships with consumers. I just asked a lot of people for advice, like, how would you build this? What would you do? How would you go to market? Uh, you know, and I was thinking I'd come to the diabetes population. That was my initial target. But I kept hearing from more and more, call it successful business entrepreneurs or, you know, successful operators and companies who also rode bikes or ran running races said, I don't have diabetes, but I buy this. I don't mm -hmm. have diabetes. I buy this. And I heard that enough times that, you know, that was kind of the business plan I started putting together when I approached uh, Abbott Laboratories to work together with them to take their amazing glucose sensing technology, but use sport as a platform to bring it to the non-diabetes audience. And um, yeah, that was May 13th. I did that pitch uh, to Abbott. June 19th, 2019 yeah, was a week after I did my second pitch with Super Sapiens and the brand identity of what we wanted to be when we grew up, uh, got endorsed by the very senior leadership at the company. And uh, I put some money in and you know, started hiring employees and building products and you know, making a lot of mistakes, which uh, I think you know, we have lived uh, to fight through, learn from most of them. Uh, but it's it's been a wild ride. I mean, uh, I've heard a lot of startup war stories and Mm -hmm. the privilege got to meet a lot of founders successful and unsuccessful and you know, people who are now founding that i can give mentorship to and it's it's a it's its own unique community the community of founders and sure. entrepreneurs and <clears throat> i'm privileged to be a part of it uh sure. and hopefully we'll have you know, success stories to tell in, in the years to come definitely definitely well thank you so much for sharing that you know whole story of how super sapiens came to be um a few things there that you know, really interest me and I know will interest the audience, the idea of using sport as a platform where originally you were, you know, you wanted to go directly to the diabetes population, but you heard, no, this is something that could be really used in sport and you having that background as a cyclist yourself, um, you know, I can definitely see how, you know, you made that, you know, pivot very, very easily. Um, talk about that whole idea of using sport as a platform because you spoke about stigma in terms of glucose and what was known, what wasn't known. And I think one thing that we last spoke about um, was that whether you have diabetes or not, 
physiologically what's going on is is still you know pretty much the same and if you can control your glucose levels again whether you have diabetes or you're a professional athlete or in the case of team nova nordisk both right <laughs> um how you know you're really changing how people are viewing diabetes and glucose and sport performance yeah yeah great great question so i, I think <clears throat> I'll, I'll go way back in time to when I was six years old as a diabetic kid competing in sport at a time when diabetics were not allowed to compete in sport because of the risk of hypoglycemia uh, and death. And my first week of swim practice, I learned yeah, a few key lessons. Good control of glucose, I can win. Bad control of glucose, I will lose. And then third, the thing that applies to all of us is that the days that I was in the pool, it was much easier to manage my glucose and get good numbers. Right. And, and so, you know, we came, you know, I wanted to use sport as a platform one, cause I know, you know, sport, right. I, I know the sports market. I've been, I've run a professional cycling team. Yeah. It'll be team type one team. Number will be 19 years old uh, at the end of this month. And yeah, I know how much time resource energy and you know, science is put into helping athletes be the best they can be. Uh, and so we started doing research on the non-diabetic, you know, kind of audience back in 2008. I had riders, athletes without diabetes using continuous glucose monitors. And it was interesting, you know, at the dinner table, you know, I had this kid, Ian McGregor, who's the CEO of Scratch Labs, a great nutrition company in America. He would drink Coke, eat cake, and he couldn't get his glucose to go above 100. And it was angry. Yeah. This is this is stupid. I you know I'm the, uh, Ian, you have a functional pancreas. You know yeah. we need to celebrate this. <clears throat> the next day, climbing up Mount Figueroa, which is an hour long climb in Santa Barbara. You know at the top of that mountain, after a threshold effort, Ian's glucose. I remember seeing it 155 with a double arrow up, which really meant his glucose was probably in the 200s at that stage. And that was strange because athletes without diabetes weren't supposed to get numbers there. Yeah. Right. So this was. And we saw more of my athletes were getting numbers way outside the range that was normal for people without diabetes. Um, and most healthcare professionals like, nah, the technology just wasn't good enough. Like it's inaccurate data, inaccurate sensors. But no, the sensors were accurate. So fast forward to 2011, <clears throat> I funded another research study comparing my athletes on team type one at the time. So we did 34 days of racing. I had you know, 10 athletes with, 10 athletes without diabetes comparing their glucose over those 34 days. And we saw a lot of you know, discrepancy, like again, elevated glucose during activity. And, you know, a thing that's always been difficult for me as an athlete with diabetes was you know, post-exercise, I'd get this massive glucose spike. And it was really difficult to you know, control glucose. You know, I'm obsessed about good control. So I'm dosing insulin after insulin after insulin, sometimes four injections an hour after exercise, my body just wouldn't respond. And it, this was frustrating to me, but then I saw in the non-diabetic data that for an hour and a half after exercise, their glucose would be elevated, insulin resistant for about an hour and a half, and then 90 minutes post, and the athletes with diabetes and without diabetes, you'd see a drop in glucose at that time. <clears throat> That's when the sensitivity, you know, insulin sensitivity returned to the body. So I started, I learned a lot from this non-diabetes data. And you know, then when we started coming to market, uh, the cut, bringing the concept to market, you know, I, I focused heavily on the scientific advisory board to begin. So I was fortunate to get uh, Professor Mike Riddell uh, out of Canada, York University in Canada. He's 
you know, arguably the global thought leader in diabetes and exercise. Uh, he recruited his friend, uh, Asker Yukendrup, who's you know, arguably the king of carbohydrate metabolism for endurance activity. You know, we went on Project Yellow working with Team Jumbo Visma uh, to try and help them win the Tour de France, which they have for the last two years now, uh, because they figured out how precisely to fuel their athletes uh, and started you know, working with scientists. And you know, a lot of people uh, still in the diabetes community said, There's, this is stupid. You know, there's no point because athletes, again, the medical textbooks, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason, they were, you know, they say athletes without diabetes glucose between, between 90 and 100 during exercise. So why why wear a CGM if that's what it's going to be? But <clears throat> what we've seen is very elite athletes <clears throat> can get glucose over 200 and maintain it for eight hours at a time. Uh, you know, when it comes, and some athletes, they perform well with the glucose at 90 Others perform well with the glucose of 120 to 140. Others 160, 180. Others above 200. So there's this <clears throat> metabolic, call it individuality, where it co- where your body, you know, performs best at a certain level. And during sport, for a period of time, your body will do a really good job of getting your glucose to the level where you perform best. But that doesn't last forever. So after periods of time, it's about how you fuel and what you eat and when you eat that can allow you to maintain those glucose levels where you're optimal. And so we just went through this, you know, why do we come to market was live visibility during sport to prevent the bonk and endurance activity. But then you unpeel the layer of an onion and, well, you can't get good glucose during activity unless you fuel appropriately in the four hours before. And, you know, we had a massive study published in N of 6,000 last year in the European Association of Sports Physiology or something of the sort that we said 23, if you eat carbohydrates between 23 minutes and 90 minutes before exercise, you've got a higher probability, much higher probability of a reactive hypoglycemia in exercise. So when you eat your last meal is directly correlated to if you go hypoglycemic in activity or not, and hypoglycemia in activity means you will fail, period. So, well, then we started to learn about glucose for recovery, glucose for weight, glucose as a proxy to help with sleep. Uh, and you just, the, I think we've only really started to scratch the surface about all the different areas where people can optimize their glucose and yield a better performance on the other end. So again, I think back to your original question of why sport, right? And for athletes, you know, in the sporting market, you know, success is your identity, right? Success is what, you know, after a sporting event, you or either back to the drawing board of like, why did I fail? How can I be better? Because I want to win next time. And that belief that I can win next time is what drives you to put all the work in to be, be good. Um, or there's mental health consequences where you think you did everything right. And then you failed for, you have no idea why. And that can be really draining on athletes, you know, psycho, psycho, psychology. Uh, you see a lot about, you know, athletes and the mental health problems they have post-career because it's just... You know, it's it's really hard. You're used to having these focus points for success and you're used to a certain way of being judged. Once that's gone, then part of your identity has gone. So anyhow, athletes are always willing to go the extra mile to try and be the best they can be. And glucose was something for 100 years was not researched as a proxy for performance. As we started to do more science and get more publications, you know, we just knew that athletes would be the pioneers to adopt this at, you know, not all of them stay on forever, but they've all been willing to try it and give us feedback from it. 
And that feedback has helped us to build a better product for the consumer market where ultimately it's the Strava customer uh, that's going to be our customer over time. People who want to gamify their you know, sporting experience are ones who similar, similarly will want to gamify their nutrition experience to be the best in sport. Uh, you know, so it's, and then you look at total addressable market. You know, I just take the Nike modality. If you have a body, you're an athlete, yeah. right? And no matter what type of body you are and what your goal as an athlete is, uh, you know, improving your glucose regulation is going to improve your outcomes. Uh, so I really see the world as my target audience uh, and helping them feel better when they're exercising means that we're going to be a part of their success and their journeys and their life. And, um, and we can add value to, you know, a lot of people out there. Uh, yeah. Stepwise approach. That's amazing. I love how you ended on that last point that if you have a body, if you're a human, then, then you're an athlete. Yeah. Um, because on one hand, you look at a lot of these wearables on the market um, and CGMs like Super Sapiens and uh, you go on their website and you see uh, these, you know, really thin like, coaches and like models and, you know, athletes and that sort of thing. But adopting your vision that everyone's an athlete, um, that can mean so many things, right? Um, you don't necessarily have to be training for the Tour de France or, you know, in my case, I'm a collegiate tennis player. You, you don't need to be training for, you know, Wimbledon or anything like that. You're you know, your, your daily battles and, you know, the battles that athletes face are not, not really on the tennis court for me, or, you know, um, on the, on the bike trail, it's, as you said, everything that you do before and after, and it's like iterative, like it's doing the mundane things over and over and over and over again. And, um, that whole concept is not just for athletes. Like it, it's yeah. for everybody. Yeah. One of, I, I tell you one of my biggest, yeah, I got, two big success stories, I call it. One was a guy who gained 100 pounds through COVID, right? And on the other side of it, we got him on our clinical trial. And, you know, he's rapidly saw that he was a type 2 diabetic. He had mm -hmm. an average glucose of 188 milligrams per deciliter. And he was greatly ashamed. So, you know, he started exercising, started riding his bike again. And he couldn't ride long because he was 320 pounds, but he could ride for a little bit. And then he saw that that brought his glucose down. And then as he gets started to stabilize his glucose lower, he stopped eating foods that caused glucose to spike. And so just got rid of all those foods in his house. Over one month, he lost 30 pounds and reduced his average glucose from 188 milligrams per deciliter to 108, i.e. normal levels. And over the next two months, as he obsessed about glucose, he ended up losing a total of 79 pounds. Mm -hmm. And it... You know, he knew he was overweight before. He knew he was out of shape before. But something about having that data in front of him, you know, guided, forced him in his head to start making behavior changes. And the outcome on the other side was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, another, you know, female, um, you know, triathlete we work with, Sky Munch, you know, top 10 in Kona the past two years, one of the best triathletes in the world. And I met her mom at Kona. And she goes, hi, I'm Sky's mom. Do you consider me an athlete? And I said, of course. You, know, <laughs> you, you got a body, you're an athlete. I said, I said Nike said that, not me. Yeah. Um, and then she shows me her arm. She's like, do you consider me a super sapien? I said, love to have you part of the community. I love this thing. Like I've lost you know, 10 pounds. I've been on it for a month. And you know, my husband probably hates me because you know, it's 11 o'clock at night. I see my glucose at 140. And I wake him up and we go on a walk around the neighborhood because I found that that's the best way I can lower my glucose 
And if I lowered it before bed, then I get a great night's sleep. It's like, awesome. I saw Sky two months later um, at the CES conference. I said, Sky, how's your mom doing? She's great. She's lost 25 pounds now. And she's she claims that she's healthier now than she was when she graduated college. And she credits all to the Super Sapiens platform. So look, putting a sensor on your arm isn't going to solve all your health crisis. Yeah. But putting a sensor on your arm and seeing what everything does to your body can help you guide your decisions on a daily basis. And the outcome of just making a few different choices per day, the behavior, you know, we've got a behavior change study that we're soon to submit for publication. It's powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and it's people who take the action, right? People yeah. who, once they see the data, take the responsibility and you know, strive to be better. And, you know, that's all I want for my consumers is I, you know, I want my consumers and everyone in the world, to be frank, uh, I want them to be the best version of themselves. And sure. that's what drives us at Super Sapiens is to put data and analytics in front of you that can empower you to be the best version of yourself. Right. Uh, yeah, and we all have goals in life, uh, some small, some big. Uh, but if it's your goal, it's your goal. And I know we can help you achieve it. And that's uh, as, an, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, whatever you want to call me. Um, that's what drives me. And I think that's what drives our team here at Super Sapiens. Uh, you know, one, <clears throat> stay alive in difficult environments uh, and two, aim to keep building a better product so that we can drive that value to a broader range of consumers. Sure, sure. Now, so we spoke about the athlete population. We spoke about the quote unquote non-athlete population. Now let's talk about the diabetes population. I know you guys just had a huge announcement where you've entered the U.S. market coming from Europe to the U.S. and are now targeting that diabetes community. Um, I think that kind of signifies everything and embodies everything that you just talked about, right? Taking high-performance sports, converging it with the diabetes pop population and community. I mean, that's powerful. Um, what makes the U.S. specifically such an important market, market to tackle? Well, you know, when you look to the American market, you know, there's... Uh, our partner, who's the market leader in this space, they've got three and a half million customers in America, right? They've been using uh, the same app for the past, you know, call it, I guess it launched in the States in 2016, so the same app for the last eight years. And it's, you know, it's a great app. Right? It <clears throat> tells you your glucose, tells you the direction it's going, and allows you to drive action to it. Um, but, you know, it's a regulated device, right? And so I've spent the last... You know, four years working on this product for the non-diabetic market, a market that's never looked at glucose, mm -hmm. you know, and we've had to make contextualized glucose in the lens of sleep, in the lens of activity, in the lens of nutrition, <clears throat> so that people can understand what it is, how to control for it, how to be better. <clears throat> and it's that context is something that's really been missing on the diabetes side of the equation. Right? <clears throat> I've had every diabetes app you can have, but I've never put exercise events in. I've never put food events and never put sleep events in because it's just they're medical grade apps. Yeah. So it, you don't get a lot of data out of it. You don't get feedback. And frankly, it's going to be really hard for that industry to do so just because of the depth of regulations that are in place. So <clears throat> we're taking an approach and working with you know our strategic partner to bring what we've developed for the consumer market, which you see ours versus the competition, people learn more with Super Sapien, a week on Super Sapiens than they learn in two years and using some other platform. We've got the exact same feedback from the diabetes population. Okay. That in one week of using, actually in one activity event or one week of using our, our app, 
people learn more than they learned about glucose in the, in the last five years even using a traditional continuous glucose monitoring platform. So, you know, one, you know, we're an American company who's been operating in Europe for the past, you know, four years. Uh, it's been, I guess, five years in total now. And that's presented its own set of challenges. You know, so now we found a way to come back to America. And, you know, frankly, for me, you know, as a type one diabetic for you know, 41 years now, uh, you know, a, kind of a, a leader in the field of hope and inspiration for people with diabetes to bring my solution back to my population. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think is going to unlock a whole new wave of potential for every person with diabetes in the country. Yeah. And, you know, you look at continuous glucose monitoring and type two diabetes right, is, you know, kind of starting increase and increase and increase. So the more that we can help drive outcomes for people and help them understand what does what to their own body, you know, you know we're going to get type ones talking to type twos about glucose and what they do and how they learn from each other. Uh, you know, you'll see more and more people without diabetes now are using continuous glucose monitoring. So just to have this glucose regulation topic, it, you know, it breaks down all stigma because no matter what scale of spectrum you're on there, from a type one diabetic injecting insulin to a type one diabetic on an automatic, you know, closed loop system to a type two diabetic on, you know, pills to a type two diabetic on drugs to, to a pre-diabetic to a professional athlete, how we regulate our glucose is all going to be, you know, somewhat similar. Yeah. And so we can all learn from each other. And I've learned a lot from the non-diabetes population about hacks they they do to sleep better, to feel better, to get their glucose back to normal. Uh, and they've learned a lot from me for, you know, when to eat, when not to eat, uh, to drive better glucose outcomes within their sports. So it puts us all on the same playing field together. And, you know, I think you see there's 90 million pre-diabetics in America. <clears throat> we could theoretically stop all of them from you know, entering the world of type 2 diabetes. Yep. Think of the financial impact on our country uh, if we could, we could pull that off. Sure. And so, you know, we'll continue to use sport as a platform, but using sport as a platform while also empowering the diabetes population to go out there and be the best they can be just means we'll have a, you know, a greater force. Uh, and when we all unify together towards glucose regulation, um, I think we can create a healthier world for the next generation than exists today. And that's a very real uh, and powerful opportunity. And, yeah, I see it as a responsibility uh, to succeed. Sure, yeah. Phil, I, you're bringing a solution that's so needed um, to a population that I think the number is like over 90% of people, regardless of if they have diabetes or not, have some sort of met- metabolic dysregulation and dysfunction. Yeah. Um, and I know you know that, and I know that's you know probably a very, um, you know, something that's driving you to continue to push the work that you guys are doing at Super Sapiens. Um, so I want to end with the, this one question. So medicine and healthcare as a whole, I view it as a pretty social and cultural practice because a lot of the outcomes um, that we see today in broader populations are determined largely outside the doctor's office. We, as such, we measure that impact of medicine and healthcare at a societal and cultural level. So what's your vision with Super Sapiens for the next 5, 10, 20 years? And what type of societal level change do you do you kind of hope to bring with this? Hmm. You, don't, you don't ask small questions here, do you? Do you? No, 
never. So let, let's let's focus. One, you know, I, I think yeah, I've got a, a friend who had you know four exits in SaaS businesses. You know, really smart guy out of Canada, um, who said Phil, you know, they did a study up in Canada with uh, a population that was guaranteed to a product that was guaranteed to solve you know cardiac problems or prevent them if you were at risk. At twenty bucks a month, they had about ten percent penetration. Then they shifted, got it paid for so that it was free. And then all of a sudden the penetration went from 10% to 90%. Wow. And, and, and so I want to build a solution that's free for the end user. right? And so we're really going to focus heavily on a freemium model, driving outcomes, you know, showing that people who use super sapiens diabetes get better hemoglobin A1C, have a better psychological profile, and you know, exercise more because of our app. So that way... You know, over time, we can get this paid for by you know, United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, et cetera. In tandem, you know, as eventually an over-the-counter solution rolls out to people without diabetes, and you see uh, other companies you know, bringing focus on metabolic health, like Levels Health, NutriSense, you know, they're charging $200 a month for the end user, which, again, that's what they have to do right now for economies of scale. But you know, I think collectively, we'll all be able to showcase that Continuous glucose monitoring is going to drive behavior change. So I'd like to see this technology reimbursed for people without diabetes, so that you don't have a you don't have diabetes that you don't have to pay two hundred dollars a month to get access, but you can go pay fifty bucks. Maybe you don't get it all the time, but quarterly, you know, everyone should act, have access to continuous glucose monitoring. <clears throat> so that's years three to five, mm -hmm. and then you look beyond that. It's you know when is the right time to start people on this. Uh, we just conducted a study in Germany where we put uh, 30 high school kids on trial. So we're analyzing those results and the behavior change that comes out of it. You know, people don't grow up wanting to be overweight. They don't grow up wanting to uh, call it to to be stigmatized, to be looked down upon. You know, but without the right information, you know, you can do what you think is right, what you've been told is right, but for your body, it's wrong. So I think the sooner we get continuous glucose monitoring uh, to the, the younger population, and this is my you know, really crazy dream, is that we can drive systematic change in schools and health systems about really focusing on health care instead of focusing on sick care. And you know, I've got three young boys in you know, a great school in Atlanta, Georgia. They have physical education every four days. Right? That, that is not... You know, I'm sure when you were growing up, it was different. When I was growing up, it was PE every single day. Mm -hmm. That trains the metabolism to get used to activity. And that getting used to activity is it's kind of addicting for us. So I would like continuous glucose monitoring to be the reason that you know, we invest in physical education for all of our children you know, for the first 18 years where we control their lives and their schedules so that that's a part of their life because that will then train their metabolisms for the next generation to be even more efficient and let them know how good they feel and quantify kind of the value of activity in people's lives. So long story short is if in 10 years from now, you know, 7 billion people or 10 billion people, whatever the population of the world is, have all tried continuous glucose monitoring, then I'll say I've succeeded as a businessman. Uh, and yeah, but it's going to take that approach of helping the type one diabetic population, then helping the type two diabetic population, helping the pre-diabetic population to reverse and their stage. And then, helping us all to just make better decisions at the dinner table. And when it comes to, do I exercise today or do I not exercise today? 
everyone needs to be empowered to say, it's not a choice. I have to, and I've got the data to validate that this is, I'm not doing this for my own selfish reasons. I'm doing this for my health and taking care of your own health means you can be better for your family, can be better for your loved ones, better for your friends. Uh, and we all have to prioritize health. And I, I really feel if continuous glucose monitoring and super sapiens and super sapiens diabetes will uh, have the opportunity to, to pioneer that mentality in the world. Phil, I asked that behemoth of a question because I know you've thought about it and I know you have the answer. And um, I think that's such a great place to end on. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to you know, talk about all the impact that you've already made and that you're going to continue to make um, on you know, metabolic health in, in this world. So really appreciate the time. And uh, if people want to follow you, um, Super Sapiens, the work that you guys are doing, how they can support, um, please let us know. Yeah, thanks a lot, Nolan. I mean, it's diabetes.supersapiens.com. There's also supersapiens.com. We're on all the social channels. And if anyone's interested in uh, being a part of the journey, got a campaign going right now on republic.com slash supersapiens, which is a crowdfunding campaign. So all my friends out there who ride bikes can join and be part of this game-changing journey going on going forward. But uh, thanks so much. You know, I really enjoyed our first conversation. Uh, you know, Bianca, her name, what's her last name? Bianca tennis player Andrescu oh, yes. <laughs> uh, is a Canadian tennis player who's been avidly using Super Sapiens. I found out from one of her partners today that uh, it's helped her to feel better, but it also helped her to realize why she felt good on the trainings that she felt good. And it was great to hear that feedback. So Nolan, I'm, I'm waiting for you to get on and then, uh, you know, go see you win Wimbledon one day and say, I did this because of Super Sapiens. And uh, then I know you'll change the world. And again, it was great to talk to you the first time. Even better to see you have this conversation a second time around.